How are you doing on this rainy, cold in April? Almost May, cold day. How are you doing? All right, good to see you. My name's Jose. If you're visiting, I want to welcome you. I'm the lead pastor here at Cypress Creek Church, and we're a group of imperfect people who are all on a journey to follow the only perfect Savior. That's Jesus, and so I hope that you feel welcome wherever you are on your faith journey. As a church, we've been navigating through the book of Romans. Paul wrote this book uh, to this church in Rome back in uh, early or first century, and uh, very, 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 very relevant to our time today. We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 21 in uh, the book of Romans this morning. So if you, if you have your Bibles, turn there. Get ready, because we have 16 points. That's right, 16 points in today's message. I whittled it down from 29. You're welcome. We're going to work through this, and here is my thesis statement for this morning. Paul, at the end, in Romans 12, 21, says, Overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. Good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It doesn't take us uh, long to think about evil in our day, in our country. I mean, there's evil that, that, that is pervasive in our country. Think about the, the day that we live where we're calling male, female, and female, male, where we are saying that what is good is evil and what is evil is good. It's becoming more of a norm. I think about the crisis in our border where we are seeing millions of humans trafficked by the drug cartels. There is evil out there. There's also evil in our homes and in our neighborhoods and workplaces. We live in a world filled with evil. And the thing is that this is nothing new. Evil is as ancient as the garden. When Adam and Eve chose to put what God said aside and pave their own way, we see that Cain, the first kids, Cain, murdered his brother, Abel. And a few generations later, we see this man named Lamech. He destroyed the covenant of marriage by marrying another woman. And then he said, hey, if, if Cain is to be avenged seven times over, I am avenging 77 times. So he ups the ante, and we see evil now pervasive in our world. It was alive then. It is alive today. And there are three different ways that we can confront evil. The first, I think, is the worst, and that is by ignoring it, by pretending like it doesn't exist. Uh, I think we've been ignoring it for a long time in our country because we've been comfortable. We've been blessed to live in a land that has been at peace. But in reality, that's just been a deception. Evil has always been present. The second is to, to respond to it by, by our own means. That is to retaliate evil for evil versus good against evil. And, and so we retaliate. We, we take revenge. That is man's way. I want to teach you a German word that you may or may not know. It's schadenfreude. Schadenfreude means uh, harm. Schaden is harm, and freude is joy. And it literally means receiving joy from the harm done to our enemies. It's gloating. When our enemies fail, we, we, we gloat. And, and there's no better example in the Bible of this than with, than, uh, or the opposite 
opposite of this. This is not the way of Jesus, not the way of God. When David, who is being pursued by Saul, he's trying to murder him, and then Saul ends up dying. He, he falls on his sword, and news comes to David, and, and the messenger gloats and said, hey, the man who wants you dead is now dead, and, and David rebukes him. And he said, that, that, that is a man of God. That, he, he, was, he was used by our heavenly Father. We are not to gloat. Second, retaliation does not work. There's got to be a third way, and that's the Jesus way. Let me read from Luke 6, and then we'll jump into Romans 12. Here's what Jesus said. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to, do, to, to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything Back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. There is an old cowboy proverb that says, love your enemies and keep your gun oiled. <laughs> Jesus says, love, love, love your enemy. We'll talk about the gun part here in a second. Don't worry, I'm not coming after your guns, all right? <laughs> we just want to follow the way of Jesus. Uh, here's what we understand as believers, that, that our battle is not against people. Our battle is a spiritual battle against principalities and spiritual forces of evil. That's why we have to pray. And we have to put on our armor, which is what Ephesians 6 talks about. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So just like David, when he faced Goliath, we need to put away our way. I need to put away Jose's way of wanting revenge, of, of wanting to overpower evil with evil. And, and David took off Saul's armor when he faced Goliath because he put on the armor of God, knowing that God was greater. And that's what he defeated God with. All of that is, uh, uh, well, we're not there yet to Romans 12. One more, one more verse. Uh, here's what I think we're really good at right now. I think we're, as, as believers, not, not as the world, but as believers, I think we're really good at diagnosing evil. I think we're, we're, we're not so good at treating it. So when we go to the doctor and we're sick, we may know the diagnosis, but we may not know how to treat it. Or we know the treatment, but we may not just take, be taking our Meds. Jesus said this in Luke 12 to this point. He said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say it's going to rain. So over the Mediterranean, they knew of clouds and the wind was coming from the Mediterranean, rain. Uh, and it does. And when the south wind blows, it, it, you say it's going to be hot. And it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Here's the point, we may know the climate of the culture, but we may not be treating it the way that Jesus wants us to treat it. We may know the diagnosis, but we need to treat it with God's remedy. That's what Romans 12 is. It is the remedy of God against evil. So 
How do we overcome evil with good? Again, 16 points. We're going to go quickly. First eight have to do with the church. The second eight have to do with the, the, those outside. And uh, here we go. First one, Romans 12, 9. Love must be sincere. We're talking about loving authentically. The greatest need in this world is God love, agape love. If you don't have love for others, we need to stop and we need to get it. You need to go to the gas station and refuel your tank. Here's how I want you to encourage you. If you're right now up to here with anger and bitterness and rage over the evil in our world, take time and list out 10, 15, or maybe just start with one things that you need God's forgiveness from. Allow your heart to fill up with God's grace in you, because our mission statement as a church is to love God, love people, and make disciples. The more we love God, the more we recognize his love for us, the more we're able to love others with his love, and then teach others, make disciples how to do that. We need to love authentically. It must be sincere. And then it says, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. I call this, let's be realistic optimists. So let's be real about the evil. Let's hate it. Let's call it what it is. But let's cling to what is good. Let's cling to the hope that we have in God. Let's hang out with one another as the church, because the more that we think about the evil, the more it will change the way that we think. And we talked about last week, the more that we think about things, the more it forms our mindset, and then that influences the way that we act. We're not called to conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind to test God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so let's be realistic and optimistic. Uh, a couple of weeks or months ago, we heard from two that work with the persecuted church in uh, the Horn of Africa, and we learned this term, compassionate prophets. That's who we need to be. We, we need to be prophets that call out the evil, but be filled with compassion. Third point, it says, be devoted to one another in love. He's talking to the church, and he's saying, be loyal to one another and cherish one another. We need to cherish the body of Christ. We need to be close to one another and enjoy our, our, our own company and care deeply for one another. It is hard to do that here on a Sunday morning only because there's so many of us. It gets easier when we get smaller. That's why we do community groups so that we can know one another, so that we can care for, for each other and, and, and be Jesus with flesh on and, and also so that we can uh, multiply those groups, so that we can see the move of God multiply. Uh, our Wednesday night community group is, is growing in size, and this is true. I've shared about multiplication the last two weeks and literally have gotten booed. Uh, every time I talk and say, hey, I'm going to pray for multiplication, boo! I take it as a compliment because they don't want to multiply because they care, you know, they feel cared for in the group. But we must get smaller to care deeper for one another. We need to cherish the church and then foster a culture of honor. It says, honor one another above yourselves. Here's what I know. The church is imperfect. And a lot of us walk 
around with hurt from church leaders, from church experiences, from church traditions. But we have to separate God and his perfect love with the church and the church's imperfect love. Church hurt is people hurt because people hurt people. That's what we do in our in Securities. And so if that's you this morning as a church leader, I just want to say I am sorry for the pain that you have suffered from a church leader. That is not of God. And, and honoring one another means that, that we need to honor the church even in its imperfection. We need to outdo one another in showing honor is what another translation says. Literally, compete on how to honor honor one another, because the reality is the, the, the more that manifests in us, in us, that then we start sowing seeds of division inside of the church. What, what happens then? We start, it's, it's friendly fire. We're not the enemy. The enemy's real and the enemy's out there. We need to be a united front that honor one another and fight the real enemy. Next one, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Paul is calling us to serve passionately, to, to not be slothful, lazy, but to get in the game, to activate our spiritual gifts, to serve one another. The way that you stay on fire is you keep logs on the fire. And, and the way that you get in, uh, serve passionately is by serving. And so maybe this week, you just need to put a log on the fire. You need to fill out a serve card on the ccc.guide website and, and start hosting or, or start greeting or, or, or get plugged into a ministry where you can serve. And, and then some of us need to take a little bit of a, break, a bit of a break so that we can allow God to billow us so that we can stay on fire and rest after a long season of serving. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Verse 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction. I love this triad. The third is faithful in prayer, but I, but I uh, separated that one because I needed 16. Again, 29 was too many. 17 was uneven, and so I chose 16 and, and separated faithful in prayer. Be joyful in hope and patient in affliction. Here's why I love this, why, why it gets together, because when we hope in eternity, it brings us joy in temporary sufferings. When, when we're anchored in hope, as Hebrews 6 says, then no matter what the waves come, if we're truly anchored, then, then the boat won't move. It's when we're not anchored in our eternal hope, when we're swayed by the waves and we're knocked to and fro. We need to be anchored in the hope that we have in Jesus. That's eternal. Therefore, whatever is temporary, Will, will, will happen. Here's, here's how radical this gets. In Hebrews 10, it says uh, uh, this. The author of Hebrews is, is talking to, to this group of people. He says, you suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. This is un-American. This is un-American. Joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better in lasting possessions in heaven. There's a difference between our temporary dwelling here and our eternal dwelling there. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly 
rewarded. Suffering is temporary. But the hope that we have in Jesus allows us to endure all types of persecution and suffering. That's why we need to be faithful in prayer, which is the next point. We need to pray continually. First Thessalonians 5.17 says we need to pray without ceasing. We need to be dependent on the vine, abiding in Christ, saying, Lord, this is tough. This is not easy. I feel like I'm swimming in the San Marcos River with the current going this way, and, and I'm exhausted swimming against the current. We need to pray for supernatural strength when it comes to enduring evil. Here's what happens when we pray. Things happen. And when we pray for revival, revival happens. Get this, in the 1900s, in the country Wales, in the United Kingdom, there was a revival that happened, and, and so many people came to know Jesus that the police were getting other jobs because there wasn't any work for them. Revival undued violence. Revival brought about order. When we pray for revival, it takes care of a ton of other things. So on Thursday, when we sign up for a 30-minute prayer slot, let's pray for revival in here. We're celebrating a baptism. This is our 25th or 26th baptism in the last three weeks. Let's pray for more. Let's pray for more changed lives in this church family and watch how the seeds of the kingdom grow from what happens in here. Pray continually. And then share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. In 2015, when, when the floods came through, through Wimberley and, and the river crested 44 feet and there was devastation, uh, um, Pastor Rob at the time, he said, hey, if you see a need, meet it. That was our rallying cry. If you were here, do you remember that? If you see a need, you go meet that need. We need to be the best hospitality industry around. We need to care for the needs of those inside of the church, share with the Lord's people, and also out. Side. It reminds me of the parable of the Good Samaritan. See, there was a man who was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and on the way, he was assaulted by robbers, multiple robbers. He was left half dead, and then there were two religious folks, a priest or a pastor and, and a Levite, and they just walked right by him. They saw the need, but they walked right by him. But it was an enemy of the Jews, a Samaritan, an enemy who stopped and took care of him. It says this in Luke 10, 33. He journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I get back. Whoa, that is hospitality that we, the church, are to give. All right, halftime. How are we doing? Eight down, eight to go. Oof, I got to hurry. Here we go. Verse 14. Now, we're, now, now this is really talking to the outside. Bless, uh, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Uh, bless when persecuted. There's no if. <laughs> There's no if. You're a follower of Christ. You're going to be hated, but it's not because they hate you. It's because they hate the one who lives in you. So when they persecute, we're called to 
bless. We're called to give. Here's how Matthew, Jesus said it in Matthew 5, 38, 39. You have heard it said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, revenge. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek. Also important that in context, he's talking about insults. He's not talking about self-defense. He's just talking about a literal snap, slap or, a, or a, a you know flick on the nose or a slap on the hand. But the point is when persecution comes, we are to bless and rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. I say this verse at every wedding and at every funeral, and I love that this is a part of this whole passage. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. We are to cultivate empathy. Empathy is the ability to understand and share the feelings of others. Are they rejoicing? Rejoice with them. Are they sad and mourning? Let's mourn with them. See, this world, what, what they need, if, 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 if those that are not in Christ are suffering, what they need is someone to suffer with them. Let's enter into their pain. Let's close the gap for them and show them that just as Jesus has comforted us, we are called to comfort others, as 2 Corinthians 1 tells us. And then live harmoniously, live in harmony with one Another. We had three uh, beautiful singers out here, and at times they, they sang in unison, and then at times they, they sang in harmony. And so let's not compete, but let's compliment. Let's uh, go up a third or down a fifth. That's how we harmonize in musical terms. Let, let's find how to complement one another in this life. Moving on, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Micah 6, 9 says to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. We need to walk humbly and be willing to hang out with people that will be of no benefit to us. Why do we do that? Because that's what Jesus did. He didn't do it for anything in return. He did it because he wanted to love. He wanted to give us agape love. Proverbs 3, 7 says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Moving on, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful what to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. We are to act righteously. We've talked about God righteously righteousing unrighteous individuals through this whole entire series. And so being careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone is not people-pleasing. It's righteous living. It's doing the right thing because you and I are sometimes the only Bible people will read. So the way that we act matters. And, and, and the way that we respond will give them a, a picture of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Here's what 1 Peter 3.9 says, same words, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. We are to act righteously. Verse 18, this is a big one. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. We need a peace out. <laughs> we cannot control what other people do, but we can control what we do. What's flowing from us? Is it retaliation? Is it bitterness? Is it resentment? Or, or is it peace? Live at peace with everyone means as far as it depends on you and your actions, make sure that they're peaceful. Go in peace 
Live at peace with everyone. I love what our ministry partners, Free Burma Rangers, do all over the world. They go into the most violent, hostile areas. They've been in Sudan. I don't know if they're in Sudan right now. In Burma, in Syria, in uh, Kurdistan, so many places. And their one rule is do not engage. Now, if someone engages, what do they do? They protect and they respond. They, they, they want to do that, but, but they're not to engage. It's this concept called boundaries. We, we need to make sure that there's a boundary that as far as it depends on us, we, we need to make sure that peace flows from us. On Rancher 12, they are working on an extension to create a further boundary on the median so it is safer for incoming traffic. That, that space is important for us as believers to have. Two more. Verse 19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. He's quoting Deuteronomy 32, 35. We need to remain calm in adversity and keep calm and carry on. This was a slogan in World War II in the UK. This was their strategy. Hey, there's bad things. The blitz uh, is happening. The Germans are, are coming. We need to keep calm and care. Everyone needs to stay calm and do their job. What is God's job? Wrath. We, we learned that in Romans 1 and 2. That's God's job. Our job? Not wrath. Not revenge. Our job is to leave that to God. We need to do our Job. Again, Proverbs 24, 17, when it talks about this schadenfreude, it says, do not rejoice when your enemy falls and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. That's schadenfreude. Lest the Lord see it and be displeased and turn away his anger from him. What is that saying? It's, it's saying that we need to leave God's wrath to God and, and we need to do our job. The brothers, John and James were the sons of thunder. They were schadenfreuders. <laughs> they, they, were, they were after uh, folks. And in Luke 9, it says that Jesus sent messengers ahead of him who went into the village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. This was a, a spiritual, a, a religious thing. Samaritans thought that Samaria was the capital, the religious capital, and Israelites thought that it was Jerusalem. And uh, big rivalry, they were enemies. And when his disciples, James and John, the sons of thunder, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. They, they just carried on. We need to stay calm and carry on. And finally, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Our job is not to be those that bring revenge. Our job is to extend grace because Jesus has extended it to us. We need to extend forgiveness. Again, set boundaries, really important, but we need to extend grace because we know that it was God's kindness that led us to repentance. And the same can be true. And last verse, uh, do not be overcome 
by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's put all of those up on the screen. 16, each of them can be a sermon on its own, but I think there's power in looking at the whole and and, and see what all of these do to, to package how we are to live in response to what Jesus has done for us. I see some taking pictures. You can also look at the ccc.guide and download all the slides. They're yours. This is for us. Uh, print it out. Put it on your fridge. I know I feel convicted about many of these. I wonder which two or three are uh, convicting to you. Here's why this is so important. You may be thinking this is weak. I, I, I don't think I can. I, I don't think this is for me. I, I don't see how this is going to work. There's a story in the book of Acts about a man named Stephen. The church was growing, and Stephen was called just like this. To, 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 he started presenting the gospel to, to not believers, but unbelievers. Some became believers, and then there was an angry uproar at some of the things that Stephen was saying because he was calling evil evil, but he was also clinging to what was good. It actually says that, that the mob over took him. And in verse 56 of Acts chapter 7, right as people were coming towards him, he said, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, the Sanhedrin, the the religious elite of the time, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. They retaliated. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, The witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. Saul, a couple chapters later, has an experience with Jesus. And when he asked in in Acts chapter 9, who are you? Jesus replied, the one whom you are persecuting. And Paul's heart was changed because while Saul was still a sinner, while you and I are still sinners, Christ died for us. And then Saul became Paul, and Paul wrote this letter to Romans, preaching now on fire for the Lord, how we are to overcome evil with good. Let's pray together. This is your way, Jesus. I pray that we would have ears to hear and um, Holy Spirit, that our hearts would be open to you and what you're speaking to us as we endure a lot of evil in this world. We are grateful that you have already overcome the evil one that there is no dualism here. There is no battle that, that, that is won or lost. You have already conquered death. And anyone that is in you is now more than a conqueror. And so we proclaim your victory this morning and we ask for your strength. We ask for your spiritual guidance step by step as we respond to your words. Lord, I thank you that salvation is available. If there's anyone that is yet to say yes to you, Jesus, if there was anything said, if they sense in their heart that they are ready to give their lives to Jesus, no better day than today. 
to make that statement. Romans 10.9 says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And so this morning, if you're sitting here convicted, ready to give your life to Jesus, I want to invite you to repeat after me and say, Jesus, I surrender. I give myself wholly to you and commit to living for you as a response to your life.